Morning, Harvest. Can I steal this? Morning, everyone. My name is Mike Kiowski, and I'm one of the elders here at Harvest, in that it is my privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. As one of the elders, um, I get to be a part of, of, the, of the team that is here. And um, one of the perks of being an elder is kind of like being an employee of the church, uh, except uh, I don't get paid. And so I, I have a day job, just like many of you do. And uh, my day job is actually to be an optometrist. And uh, I've got something up here to show you. And uh, when many of you think of me, you probably think of that. And uh, you also think of which is better, one or two, exactly. And uh, I want you to know that as we come into this sermon today, that oftentimes Jesus separates the world as two different groups of people. And uh, as an optometrist, uh, we often separate people into two different groups, too. There's the people who we say, which is better, one or two, and boom, they spit out two. Right away, they've got the answer. Those are kind of like the lawyers and the engineers. They just right away got a decision and a choice. But there's, there's other people who we come and we ask, which is better, one or two? Well, the A is a little better in this one, but the C is a little better in the other one. Okay, so ask again. Which is better, one or two? Oh, well, there's a little bit of a shadow on the first one, and, and on the second one, it's maybe a little crooked. Those are the kind of people that we separate. There's those people that make a choice and they see the world kind of as a stick. A plus B equals C, go on. But you know what? There's other people, they see the world as a tree. They see the stick, they see the leaves, they see the color of the leaves and everything that's there. And today, we're going to hear from John. And John, the apostle, is the kind of person who sees the world as a tree. He'll, he'll look at something and he'll look at it in a certain light and then he'll come to something else and look at that and he'll go back to the first one and look at it again. And so I want you to realize that as we come to understand and to hear from him today. Now, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to go from John 17. John chapter 17. What you may know is that this is part of a series that we've already begun. We have already started the very first week uh, with Pastor Brandon, and he spoke to us about vertical faith and what that looks like, and that we should have, be consumed by a passion for the glory of God. And then last week, we heard from Pastor Ryan, and he spoke to us about being ready to reach the world. And today, in this series, The High Priestly Prayer of Jesus, we hear from Jesus as he speaks to the church, to you and to I and to all who believe. He's separating that group out again, and he wants you to know that you, as a body of believers, as a church, that you are here to reach those who are on the outside, who are in the world. And the way that we're going to do that is becoming a community known by faith and hope and love. A faith that is exemplified and marked by our unity with Christ and with one another, A hope that is founded in the glory to come that one day Jesus calls us to be with him and in his presence that we might see 
his glory. And a love that comes from the Father, a love that is so different from what this world knows as love, that is otherworldly, that is supernatural. It's a love that could only come from God. And as the world sees us as a community of faith, hope, and love, they are confronted with the glory of Christ, the glory of God, and they need to make a choice. Do I believe or don't I believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you and to be in your word and to hear your voice speaking to us. I pray for your spirit to be at work and alive um, as I speak and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters as they listen. I pray, Lord, that in the end, the only thing that would remain is your words and uh, that I would disappear and that you would have great glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you take a look at at John chapter 17, um, the first thing I would like you to notice, or the first point I would like you to understand, and you can jot this down, is that so that the world may believe, we must live as one. We must live united to Christ and united to one another in such a way that the world sees our unity and believes in the gospel believes that Jesus came in the flesh, sent from the Father to save them. I'm reading from chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The first thing we notice here is that uh, Jesus isn't praying for everyone. Remember what we said, he's, he's separating out the world, um, those who believe in the word, those who believe that Jesus was sent of the Father. And so my first question to you is, do you belong? Do you believe? Are you a part of God's family? Do you have a time when you made a decision, you made a choice? Do you have a time when you realized that you had a sin debt that was so huge that you couldn't make it go away? Here's my story. When I was, before my senior year in college, I was driving to work, and as I was driving to work, a man went through a stop sign right in front of me. I could do nothing except hit the brakes and hit him. That day, I ended up in the hospital emergency room along with him. The difference is I got to go home. And the next day, the insurance company wanted to know if he got a ticket for going through the stop sign. So we we went to the authorities and asked them, could we have the information about this accident? And they said, you know what? We can't release that information because there was a fatality in the accident. During the night, the man had died. The elderly man who went through the stop sign passed away. And at that moment, I felt as though I was the vehicle of death, that I was a murderer, and that somehow I was responsible. In that moment, I felt so guilty of being a murderer that I saw no way out, that I could never do enough penance, enough good to ever make that go away. I could never outweigh any balance that there would be for good and bad or evil in this world and in my life. And what I realized 
is that I was angry with God because I thought I was a good person. I went to Mass every week. In fact, I would go to daily Mass, and I would go to confession, and I would do all the things that I was taught to do to make sin go away. But I realized that this was so huge, this wasn't going to go away. And so I became angry with God because how could he do that? How could he condemn me when I'm doing my best to be a good person? And in that anger, I decided that God must exist. So I decided to go to a Bible, and I decided to open it up and read what it had to say. And what I found was that there was a God who forgave me and who loved me. And so I began to listen to the radio to try and find a Christian station. The only thing I could find was an African-American station, a, a gospel station. And one night, as the black preacher prayed, I prayed with him, and I received salvation. And as I got up from my knees that night, the guilt and the shame was removed, and I was a new person. You see, I realized that day, too, that I never really was good. Never was I good. You see, in college, I was a binge drinker every weekend, and my neighbor in the dorm had just scores of pornography, and I would go visit him, and I would look at it. But it took something that huge for me to realize that I had a sin debt that I could never pay. How about you? Did, has the day ever come that you've realized that you have a sin debt that you could never pay and you need a Savior? That Savior is Jesus. He came to die on the cross to take away your sins, rose from the dead to give you eternal life so that you could have life with Him, with the Father forever and enjoy them in their, in their glory in heaven. When we look at this too, we also notice that Jesus is speaking to the fact that they are one. Jesus and the Father are one. They have been eternally one since before time began, since before we existed. And that oneness of the Father with the Son is the oneness that Jesus is praying for, for you and for me and every member of this church He wants us to be so joined as one, perfectly one, not only with him, but with one another, that when the world sees that unity, they are challenged to realize that God is here among us. I also want you to notice, too, as as you look at this verse, it, it doesn't say that we're joined to Christ and you. It says to that they may be in us. He's speaking about the community. He's speaking about all of us together. He's saying that there is a certain element where we have a relationship with Christ, but that relationship is also lived out among one another in our brothers and sisters. And he's challenging us to be one as brothers and sisters just as we are one with him. Are you daily pursuing a oneness with Christ And are you daily pursuing a oneness with Christ within the context of community, within the body of believers? Are you in a small group? Are you in a ministry team? Are you in a group of people that cares for and loves one another? Are you finding a place of community here? Jesus also prays that we would be so united in him that the world may believe that you sent me. 
In John 5:24 we read truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but he has passed from death to life the result of living a life united with Christ because he's united with the father is that we are also united with one another and that when the world sees us in that oneness living together with one faith that they are confronted with the fact that God is here that his glory is here and they need to make a choice do i believe unity in Christ is powerful when a hostile divisive world sees a church that is unified by the power of the gospel and the love of Christ it is a living testimony to the existence of God and that he can be known this is our ministry model that when people come to us and encounter us that they would encounter God's presence here his manifest presence and know that he can be known our unity is kind of like an orchestra if you look at an orchestra you'll see that everyone's looking at the conductor right and this kind of all of us are together looking at Christ and the father as one but i want you to notice too that those who are seated together with the same instrument or in the same area or the same part are also playing together as one unified one unified body and as they play in unity with their eyes to the conductor and with a full sense of unity with one another something beautiful comes forth and it comes forth to the waiting audience who sees and hears this is a small glimpse of what we are like as a church as individuals we are tied to Christ and we look to him in all things but as one as a body we look together to him and as we look together to him we cooperate together to be a witness and produce what is beautiful for the world and when they see it and they hear it and they live it they realize that our god is here and that he exists if jesus stepped into our church right now and he gave us the unity test how would we do Well, I'm going to give you three very quick enemies of unity and an antidote. The first is isolation. Some of you believe that you can maybe do this on your own. You think that you can live life apart from the community, or maybe even you think that you can live life apart from Christ. it's not going anywhere good you might find that when you're in a difficult situation or things are going hard you feel like you really don't want to share that with other people you'd rather just go off on your own and work it out and then maybe you'll let people come around or maybe you're in a small group and there's a certain part of your life that you still guard and you're not going to let people in because you don't want them to see that part of you you want them to know that piece of you you want to stay isolated you want to stay withdrawn but here's the thing you need to be able to step out of your comfort zone 
Are you willing to let other people speak the truth in love to you? They're not going to do that unless you have a relationship with them. They're not going to know what's going on with you if you keep yourself locked away or you keep yourself guarded or you build the walls. The anecdote is accountability. The anecdote is making sure that in a community of believers where they're going to speak godly truth to you and they're going to ask you the hard questions. So seek a community and treasure the godly friendships that God has blessed you with in this church. Don't neglect it. Another enemy or unity killer is being self-absorbed. Sometimes we allow our problems to get so big that we can't see past them. We can't see past to see other needy people that God has put in our path and in our life. We become so consumed by our own problems that it becomes toxic, so toxic that it begins to kill our relationships with other people. It begins to hurt our relationships with our family and with other believers that are in the church because we're so consumed with ourselves. I want you to know that in this community there are people that care about you and love you And I want you to seek them out. They are here so that they can walk alongside you, pray for you, and encourage you into a place of health. And if you need to go to biblical counseling, go to biblical counseling. Don't hesitate. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body aches. We need you well. So allow that to happen. Allow the people of God to come in and to care for you as well. Seek to live in God's presence and stop looking inward and look outward, and God will give you the strength and capacity to love and care for others and embrace thankfulness. Be thankful for what God has given you in this life and for your brothers and sisters who are a blessing to you. And maybe your self-absorption isn't quite your problems. Maybe you're like me. My self-absorption is busyness. Last week when we left here, I, I came and I wanted to hear the sermon from Ryan because I knew that may influence what I would say here today. And so I thought I would block off a large amount of time on Sunday so I could really work on that. I would kind of sequester myself from my family and, and do what I need. Well, would you know that when we get home, We find out that someone tried to break into my son's car, busted the window, and then busted the steering column so you couldn't even turn the wheel. It was all messed up, couldn't start the car. And so I made a choice. I made a choice to be a part of my community at home and with my family and to be with them and to resolve what was going on. And the next day I took the car to get the window, and the next day after that I took the car to be able to have the steering column fixed. And I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought, in my business, I still carved out some time. I'm doing all right. Until it was yesterday. Yesterday, I went to work. When I walk in, I see a sign that says, Happy Birthday. One of the workers had put that up, and I realized it hit me. The lady who's worked with me for 10 years, and I've always remembered her birthday, I forgot her birthday. In our busyness, we neglect relationships. When we're self-absorbed, we miss out. Another unity killer is conflict. There is nothing like conflict that can kill the community in a church. 
when the people of this world step into this church and they see conflict, you know what? They see that we're no different than them. We're no different than the world. And so we must not tolerate conflict. We must not let it continue on. We need to be a people of reconciliation. We need to face it. We need to understand, are we looking to be understood or to understand the other person? What are you looking for when you're in conflict? Don't be concerned about your pride. Don't be concerned about, be concerned about what God calls you to, to reconcile one to another. Are you in conflict with someone in church? Go to that person today. Go to resolve to go to them before the end of this week if they're not here. And work out that relationship. It glorifies God. It brings unity to the body. And it is a witness to the world. You have been reconciled to God through Christ. And if he can reconcile a sinner to a holy God, he can certainly reconcile you to a brother and sister in Christ. Keep short accounts. Extend forgiveness. Look to Matthew 18 as a guide. And if you need a mediator, don't hesitate to come to the elders or to the pastors of this church and ask for help. This week, promise yourself that you will be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. When the world looks at Harvest Palace, what do they see? Do they see conflicts that are being resolved, hurting people, finding healing, and isolated people, finding community? This is who Christ is praying for. And this is who we must strive to be on a daily basis. Because our outreach depends on it. When the world sees us living as one, living with forgiveness and resolution, that is God's rescue plan for the world that they might see and have hope and believe. So that the world may believe we must live as one, one community of faith. Here's the second point. So that the world may believe we must love as the Father loves. When we're united in love, the love that comes from the Father, then the world comes face to face with God's love. And when they see God's love present in this world, that glorifies God and that leaves them to believe, that confronts them with the choice, do I believe? Reading from verse 22, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. When we look at this, we see the, world, the word glory. And what is the glory that Jesus is telling us that the Father gave him that he is now giving to us? 
What is the glory that the Son has that he is passing on? When you look at the word, the word in the Greek is doxa. And that means the singular splendor of God with consequences for mankind. It's the same word that John uses in John 1.14. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. When the world steps in our space and they see Jesus alive in us, they are faced with God's glory. And there is a consequence. They need to make a decision. Do they believe or not? And that is how you and I display God's glory, through the love that we have for one another, through the love we have for Christ, for God our Father, and the love we have for one another. And when people see that love, they realize that God is present here in this church and he is on display for them to see and to know and to meet. But who is it in this congregation that you're struggling to love? Is there someone that you have a hard time relating to because they're just so different from you? Is it the person that uh, you're in conflict with? Are they... Are they the person that you could never love and yet they're sitting right beside you and God is calling you to love them wholly and completely? Is it the person who's with the toxic relationships you just like put up walls and guard yourself from? Who is God calling you to love? In John 13, 35, we read, By this all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Father's love is calling you to do whatever it takes to love, to make peace between whomever you may have a conflict with, whomever the other person may be. Our outreach to the world depends on it. Because when we love one another in the love of God, the love of the Father, it is something that the world comes to see and they say, That is a love I have never seen before. That is out of this world. It is supernatural. And it causes them to see God's glory, his singular splendor, because it belongs singular only to him, to God. And they are forced with a choice. Do I believe it or not? In verse 23, we see that um, Jesus also says, and prays that we would be perfectly one, just as the Father is one. And he's asking each one of us, just as God the Father and Jesus are united as one, to be, again, united one to another as brothers and sisters. And that as they came together and have been together, eternally existed in such a way, he causes us and calls us to live in relationship with him forever with one another. What are you doing to maintain the unity of believers here at Harvest Palace? Do you guard your relationships at the church? Are you in a small group? Do you guard your small group time? Is your mutual ministry mutual? Do you seek to know and to care for others with the same intensity and desire that you care to be cared for? Do you guard your heart from gossip? I'm going to pick up here in not in verse 24, but verse 25. So if you look at verse 25, Jesus prays, 
O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Notice that he, Jesus calls God our righteous Father. God alone is righteous. And he's separating the world again into two groups. The group that knows him and loves him and the group that needs to be reached. Jesus is also letting us know that he came and has made God's name known. Jesus is the final revelation of God in this world. Jesus came so that we could experience and know God. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus also tells us that we can call God our Father. And that's indeed what he actually calls him here. A Father. A Father that we can know who loves us. And that's the attribute that he's bringing out here. In 1 John 4, 8, we read that God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. When a world sees the love of the Father in us, they will come to recognize that God is in this place. They will see the doxa, the glory of God being lived out in our lives and our community, and they'll be forced with a choice. Consequences, do I believe? Notice, too, that Jesus says that he will continue to make God's name known. And that is exactly what he's done. He made his name known to the disciples and all who were with him that night as he prayed. And then he has made his name known throughout the ages from generation to generation until it finds us here in this place. And it will continue to go out and go forth. It will not stop. And the reason that he has made his name known is so that all who would believe in him would have the love of God, have the love of Christ. The same love that has been given to the Son is the same love that's been from everlasting to everlasting. And it's meant to be found in you and me and in this church. So that you and I may experience the fullness of God's truth and that the love in the church might show forth a love that the world would see and know that God is here and that he loves them, that he loves them so much that he sent his son so that he would die for them and that they could believe and have eternal life. Our unity by faith, our love that comes from the Father is given to glorify God. And our outreach to the world depends on us living out that love and that faith in unity. So that the world may believe we must live as one. So that the world may believe we must love as the Father loves. Here's the third point. So that the world may believe we must live with hope. We must live out our lives with the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ And in so doing, the watching world will know that there is one who has come and that they can know him too. 
and that he offers them real hope. I'm reading verse 24 now. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. When Jesus says, I desire, that is very different from we come to the Father and we say, I desire. Jesus is so at one with God that what he asked for, it is certain to happen. When you and I come before the Lord and we say, I desire, we ask for things, Sometimes we come with our own motives. And when that happens, even though we might come with great passion and crying out to God, God is not obligated to answer that. In fact, he may answer it in a very different way. But when we are one with Christ, so united with God, and we come to him, he places within us the desire for what we are to pray for. And when we pray that prayer, a prayer that's in line with God, in line with his word, then he will answer, and we need to be prepared for what that answer will be. But anytime we pray, we should always pray with open hands and open arms. Because in that moment, we always recognize that he is sovereign and that he is God and that he will answer in a way that brings him the greatest glory. The other thing that I'd like you to see is that Jesus is separating the world again. Uh, those who belong to him, whom the Father has given him. And what he wants them to have, what he wants them to see, is his glory, his future glory. He wants those who believe, the church, to be in his presence and enjoy his glory, his presence forever. Now, When John wrote this, he wasn't the same John who was sitting that night at the table after just eating, kind of in a food coma. When he wrote this, it was decades later, and inspired by God, when he wrote this down, he had already seen the birth of the church. He had already seen the Holy Spirit come down on Pentecost. And so, As he knew that, he saw and looked forward and knew of God's glory and the glory that is in Christ Jesus. And so, even though he knew that many of the other disciples had been uh, persecuted, and he himself, they tried to kill him. They put him in a pot of boiling oil, but he didn't die. So they stoked up the fires, but he still didn't die. So they didn't know what to do with him. So they sent him as an exile to the island of Patmos. God has promised you, Jesus is praying that you, and that is certain, that's his desire. It will happen. Jesus is praying that one day you will be with him and you will experience the full extent of his glory. That is our hope in Christ. No matter what happens, whether we're in a boiling pot or how difficult it may be at work, whatever we face, Our promise is the glory of God in heaven. 
and we are called to endure. I don't know what boiling pot you're facing today. I don't know if your boiling pot is a difficulty at work. I don't know if your boiling pot is difficulty at home or relationships. I don't know if it's your marriage. And I don't know if it's a conflict in this church. But whatever it is, God wants you to put your finger on it, pursue it, and continue to endure because the promise of glory is ahead. And as he helps you and allows you to endure, and as you walk in patience and in obedience, that gives glory to him even in the here and now. So don't let the boiling pot make you feel like you want to jump ship and get out because you have a promise of glory ahead and you will get there. It is certain because Jesus said, I desire and what he says will come to be. In Romans 8, 38 to 39, we read, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't jump out of the pot. Endure. Don't let your giving up destroy your witness. Don't let it destroy the witness of this church. The other thing that we need to remember is just as we've read just now that that hope is eternal because Jesus has promised it and it is forward for us. As an elder, one of the greatest privileges I have is that I get to pray with you and especially when you come forward and ask to be prayed for for healing. And I am so thankful that there are times when God allows me to participate when he glorifies himself by healing and making people well. But I also know that sometimes God's agenda for glory can be very different. Now, we always pray with boldness that God would heal and that he would do so here and now in this life. But sometimes God's agenda is that he will glorify himself through the illness of one of our brothers and sisters. Oftentimes, the God chooses the person to do that is the person who understands and knows what it means to hope. They walk through their illness and their pain, still serving in the church and doing what they can with gladness in their heart. They continue to pursue God no matter what happens, no matter what pain or difficulty that they face. And they walk in obedience, giving him glory day by day because they have a future hope. Because they know that one day, whether this side of heaven or the other, the healer will touch them and they will be made well and their sickness will be gone forever. And that they will enjoy presence with Christ and see his glory forever. Those people inspire hope in me. They, hope, they inspire hope in the world. They are the ambassadors of this church that step out of here and go to clinics and hospitals every day and are a living witness of hope to the doctors and nurses that they meet. 
Who do you need to share your hope with? Who is God calling you to be an ambassador and share his hope, your hope for the future? Walk in that hope in obedience and reach out and care for other people. The other thing we notice too is that it is God, the Father, who has given Jesus this glory. And he tells us why. He tells us because he loved him so much. That he loved him since the foundation of the world, since time began, since we ever knew. And that he loves him from everlasting to everlasting. When he calls you into relationship with him, you are now joined to an everlasting relationship with Christ. And as we do that together as a community, we are joined in an everlasting relationship with one another. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say, neighbor, you better get used to me because we're going to be together for a long, long, long time. For some of you, that has some consequences. That means you need to, if you have a conflict or you've got a problem, you better address it now. You don't want to have that with you for forever, right? Resolve those things. God will redeem it, and God will use that to bring down his glory and be a witness to the world that needs to see it, that needs to see reconciliation lived out in the lives of his people. By the grace of God, I have seen some in this church overcome addiction. I've seen people overcome depression. I've seen people overcome illness. And that is all to the glory of God. And it is a living testimony to the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it is not only a testimony and encouragement of hope to us one another within these four walls, but it is an encouragement and a hope to the world watching from the outside these four walls. When people from the world look in, what does it look like to them? Do they see people who are living in that hope? Do they encounter a people who have suffered well and live in victory? Do they encounter a community that loves one another so well that there's no explanation of where that comes from, that it must be from God and that God exists and that I need to come to know him. So that the world may believe we must live as one, so that the world may believe we must love as the Father loves, so that the world may believe we must live with hope, Let us not take lightly or squander our relationships and the time we have together. Let us live life together in a way that it brings glory to God in our community of faith and brings such glory down that the dying world looks in and sees and they believe. This is God's rescue plan for the world. And God's rescue plan is at stake. 
When we love one another well in a way that the world cannot explain, they will see the love of the Father and believe. When the lost step into our midst, may they encounter a community filled with faith in the Savior, the love of the Father, and a future hope to experience Christ in his fullness and his glory. And may that lead them to confess that God is real, God is in this place, and I believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would make this a reality in our church. Just as you prayed that night, may you continue to pray it over our lives. And Lord, may we with all that is in us, our strength and might, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, may it empower us to live this out on a daily basis. May we strive within our hearts to be this kind of a church that loves you and lives out unity and faith and in hope and in love so that those in the world who look in and see us might encounter your glory and that they would be faced with a choice and that they would believe. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.